0: Were you involved in curling at all in your growing up years?
1: No, I kind of thought curling was for old people.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Obstacles and Opportunities with Lowell and Julie, sharing stories, empowering mindsets.
0: Today's guest is Ina Forrest. She's a four-time Paralympic wheelchair curler. At her first Paralympic Games on home soil at Vancouver 2010, the team won gold. Most recently at Beijing 2022, they brought home the bronze medal And she was one of Canada's flag bearers for the opening ceremonies. When Ina was 21, she became paralyzed after the vehicle she was driving in was hit by an impaired driver. She wasn't introduced to wheelchair curling until she was 42 years old, and she's one of the most decorated wheelchair curlers in the world. Ina and her husband live in BC, where they run their own business and raise their three kids who are now adults. We loved having insight into Ina's mindset, hearing about her adventures, and learning more about wheelchair curling. Fair warning: the audio isn't the best, but the conversation still is, so we hope you enjoy. Hello. Oh.
2: Good afternoon. <laughs> Good, Good morning. <laughs>
0: yeah. Hello. Hello there. How are you doing today? Uh,
1: great. How are you doing?
0: Good. Are you a popular lady getting a phone call?
1: Just the moment you start something else, that's when the phone rings. You sit there all day with no phones, but any other time. Yeah.
0: Make a plan and it'll ring. <laughs> that's right.
2: You've just won a cruise or the Canadian border <laughs> <laughs> services are out to get you.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> uh, it is so great to connect to you, Ina. We have this connection with you through Mindset Go. Yes. And then to cheer you on through your Paralympic journey. And to start right off, what an honor. Canadian Paralympian. Flag bearer. What was that experience like?
1: It was a really amazing. For me, Paralympics is about the big team, being part of the Canadian team. So to be a flag bearer and carry the flag to show everybody who we represent and who we're playing for was just an amazing part of my Paralympic experience.
0: Uh, Did you have any idea that was coming, like that your name was kind of in the hat for that, or was that a complete surprise? I knew
1: that I'd been put in by Curling Canada, so I knew I was in the running but I was in the running in 2018, too, and it didn't happen. So, I mean, there's no, yeah, I know I'm there. You just have to wait and see. And they, they don't let you know until last second.
0: So. Yeah. Oh, man, how exciting.
2: We are reaching out to athletes who have experienced different challenges in their life and to hear about how their journey in sport has helped them overcome their obstacles and also mindset. So today, we'd love to get to know your backstory. For those who don't know, I'd like to go all the way back to the beginning, where you're born, and kind of the pathway through your life and the supports along the way, and then we'll finish off with the mindset and your overall Beijing experience. Where does the story begin?
1: Yeah, we're going back a long ways, you know. <laughs> <laughs> to the very beginning. It's, hey, they uh, say it's the
2: very best place to start.
1: <laughs> I grew up in Montney, BC, which is a small, small farming community outside of Fort St. John, BC. I was one of seven children, being the second youngest.
0: Do your siblings also have cool names? <laughs> we do
1: all have kind of different names. Oh, so yes, fine. <laughs> yeah. So it was growing up on a farm, just a small farm, I, I guess would you say is a real family, everybody working together and managing with what we had. And that was fine. We never wanted for anything. It was a great family. I had wonderful, wonderful parents who did everything they could for us. My sisters range from 10 years older than me, 8 years older, 7 years older, and then I have a brother who's 5 years older, another sister who's 1 year, and a brother that's 4 years, so you know, it's quite a huge generational family as well, so I had lots of second parents to look after me as we grew up.
0: Second parents and playmates, you had them all yeah, in one house.
1: Yeah, so that's where I came from, we went to school in the same community for my first 5 years. And then moved to a larger consolidated school with a few other small communities. So again, just a farm kind of school before we go to high school. And that was in Fort St. John. We played sports. We had soccer. We had fastball. So that was kind of our sports when I was a kid because we didn't have a gym at our school. So I grew up playing sports right from sort of grade four and then once we went to the consolidated school then we had a gym so then we started playing some other things so volleyball actually became my big sport and I played that all the way through high school and would say it was you know my absolute favorite sport the whole time that I played.
0: Me too, good taste. Yeah, <laughs> it's a great
1: sport, really really love it. I also did track and field, broom ball continued on with fastball all the time too. So yeah, I just grew up playing sports and any sport I could get into, I was willing to give it a try.
0: And handy that you have so many siblings that you guys could just form a couple teams just yourselves, eh?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think being one of the younger ones had some of its advantages too, because, you know, for my older sisters, I think things were just a little tighter and a little tougher. So they probably didn't have the opportunities that I got being the second youngest.
0: Yeah.
2: When we're young, we learn lessons. And those lessons can be with us through life. What are some lessons you learned growing up in a small community and a large family?
1: I think living out on a farm, you know, it was the independence and being fine by yourself. Although we had, you know, it was a large family, you just didn't get out and about that much. You know, one car and nine people doesn't go too far. So I think part of our existence was depending on family and being independent, being resourceful, and being responsible. So when everybody else was out working in the field, then some of us younger ones, well, you're supposed to make supper. I guess it was a little bit more adult, even though we weren't adults. You just took on some of the more adult roles, maybe at a younger age than kids do now. But still, we weren't adults, and we didn't grow up fast either. So yeah, it's like kind of a different way of looking at how life used to be back then. Mm-hmm. And I think in playing sports, I was always a very competitive person. And so, having all the sports in my life right from that age, I probably became even more competitive. Always wanted to do really, really well in sports. Tend to be that, you know, if it was something I didn't do well in, I'm not going to play that
0: anymore. <laughs> <Or something> else, <laughs> That's right? not that important. Next thing. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you
1: picked and choose uh, the things that you liked and the things you were good at became a little bit probably how. I looked at things, if you're not good at it, we'll give up on that and go to something else. So maybe that's a bit of a mindset that you developed from playing sports.
0: Were you involved in curling at all in your growing up years? No,
1: I kind of thought curling was for old people. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Having said that though, you also probably defined an old person as like age 25. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: I was just a lot more active. And to me at that point, curling didn't seem like a really active sport and also it was not something that very many young people were playing in high school so it wasn't like you jumped in easily because there was you know a a junior league or something like Mm. that that I knew of so it wasn't even on my radar when I was in high school
2: Mm. you have this sense of growing up and launching into life sports an important part let's talk about the change that happened in your life in young adulthood
1: When I was 21, we were actually a community team and we were headed to a volleyball tournament in Prince George and halfway there, I ended up in a car accident. We were hit head on by an impaired driver, became a paraplegic at that point, T12L1 paraplegic. And that certainly changed everything. Instantly at that point, thought, okay, that's done. You know, sports are done, dancing's done, riding my horse is done. Yeah, you could just count on your fingers how many things in your life you thought, that's it, never mm-hmm. to do again. Obviously, at that point, too, I didn't really know anybody in a wheelchair or really see that many people in wheelchairs to really even understand what was out there or the fact that life just goes on. You can do a lot of things. So it was very devastating at that point i remember waking up in the hospital the next morning and when we had the cracks and it was just instant i couldn't feel my legs so you're in shock right away and the next morning actually is when it hits you and you wake up but yeah i still can't feel my legs and that was probably the worst morning to save your life when you wake up and know that that's
0: it so did you just have a gut instinct that you would probably never feel your legs again or did it take a doctor or somebody confirming that for you to make it real
1: they didn't know how bad the injury was people do have paralysis and then you know as the swelling goes down and whatnot then you will start to get sensation and movement back so they don't really know and it was two weeks before they could do my surgery. And so they were saying, well, you know, we think you'll probably be up walking with leg braces. Don't think this is too bad. It's just a dislocation. You're not a complete injury. And then after they did the surgery, then they came back and said, well, yeah, your cord is crushed quite a bit more than what we thought. So, you know, we're really not sure what will come back. And then within, I guess, a month, I started to be able to feel like, okay, up in my upper thigh, you know, a muscle is moving. I can move muscle there. So... You instantly have, you know, all the hope in the world that it's all going to come back. This is, you know, it's going to get better and better and better. And it did get better and better. I do have some muscle function in my legs and having some is a game changer compared to having none. So very fortunate to have got back what I did get back.
0: Mm. Have you had any more gain in function in the last several years or did it kind of stop progressing?
1: Yeah, so it's been 38 years since my accident and I probably had some return for the first three, but I'd say since then it's it's pretty much stabilized.
0: And I saw in one of, I, we like to do research on people like you and watch these <laughs> inspiring little videos online, and I saw a video of you driving. So how long after your accident did you start driving again?
1: They get you driving and functional as soon as they can when you're in rehab. So I was in right. rehab from June till October, and by the time I left, I was driving. You have to go through all the lessons and do another driver's test because you're using CAN controls instead of your feet. So, yeah, by that time, I was driving.
2: Mm. Everyone deals with grief and loss in their own unique way. What do you remember about that period of time when you're 21, 22, 23, young adult, and everything's changed? What was that emotional experience, that journey like for you?
1: Again, fortunate. All my family. So everybody took a turn coming down. And that was really nice because I'd never really been away from home for very long before that. And that was a long time to be alone in that situation. So that was really helpful. I remember though, my sister, my best friend came down and it was just shortly after I've had my surgery. And so I was just starting to get up and they took me into the gym and they came along to watch and I was just sitting there and they just throw a ball at you and you're supposed to catch it. And having no, previous experience to you know it's like that you can't feel your legs or your bum and I just fall over when I caught this ball and I mm. just remember them both of them they just left they were crying Aww. I think that was probably one of the worst days just suddenly realizing that oh you know that's what everybody looks at too and that's how I was feeling but also you have the sense that this is as bad as it gets from here on, I make the difference. I decide how well I do with this, how far I go with this. So it's not, for my mind anyways, it wasn't like having some disease that I didn't know where the end was or how bad it would be. I had a start point, so make the most of it. And my parents were always, you know, use it or lose it, buck up that kind of attitude. And so that was kind of just part of who you were, that you made the best of what you had. And... The support that you have that enables you to reach down in and take control of that makes a huge difference. So I I credit it to family and friends for sure. And also being injured in a car accident, then you're not destitute. So, you know, I did have insurance after that, which once again, makes all the difference in the world as well, because you're not struggling for money the moment you Mm. step out of the hospital. So that was a great support. And people always say, well, if you're going to do it, do it in the car.
2: Mm. Being able to have one less stressor, a major stressor about work and life and how am I going to pay the bills to be relieved so you can get back to recovering, healing mind-body-soul relationships from a moment like that.
1: Yeah, and I mean, you know, some of the people that were in rehab with me were people who had been in a diving accident or some accident where there was no insurance. And, you know, then they were trying to fundraise and having community things to help them find living supports. And i was so thankful that that was not my next step after I got a re- yeah. out of rehab.
0: And how did the others in the vehicle with you fare?
1: In our car, the driver had facial injuries, and then the two in the passenger side, front and back, whiplash, but other than that, they were fine. Oh, really? The car that hit us, they had a lot more injuries. It was a much smaller car, more broken bones, but nobody was you know, permanently injured.
0: Our son asked if the impaired driver that hit you went to jail.
1: I believe, you know, trying to think back that many years ago, they did go to court over it, and I think he did for a few months.
0: Okay. Hopefully at least some sort of rehab.
2: Hmm.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Don't do that again. Mm -hmm.
2: There are many stages of grief. I'm interested in the moment after, and there's lots of bargaining and denial and anger. Do you remember those feelings towards the other driver or to the unfairness of life or to a higher power? How, how did you deal with the immensity of grief in the moment? I guess
1: you sort of went, well, why would it happen to me? I definitely had lots of those questions. Why, you know, is there some reason? Because you want a reason. You don't want it to just be that, oh, luck of the draw, and there you were, and, you know, why was I the one in the accident that got hurt and everybody else is still walking? If I hadn't gone on that side of the car, you know, if I'd been on that side, this would be my friend. Well, that's not a nice thing to say, well, geez, mm-hmm. wish i would gotten on the other side, so it's my friend. So yeah, on a lot of levels, you couldn't come up with anything that really made it any better. I maybe came away with a bit more of, you know, I remember way back when I was a kid reading a book about fate, some strings are this long and some strings are this long. And I thought, well, I guess I had the short string. That was just the way it was. And I did do the bargain, you know, If I'm a better person, I get more return back You know, I'll do anything to get anything back. So I I probably did a little bit of sort of rationalizing if I believe in God or if I volunteer for all sorts of things, you know, maybe somehow a higher power will see value in you and and somehow make this all better. But those things didn't last very long. This is just the way life happens sometimes, wrong place, wrong time, Mm. and nothing's going to change it at this point. So Mm. carry on with what you've got. Mm.
2: The power of acceptance, not being stuck in what would have, could have, should have been or becoming bitter, but there's this acceptance of what was. And then Ina has to choose the path. What does she then do now with this new reality?
1: Yeah. And I think to start with, like I said, I didn't know anybody in the wheelchair at that point. So all you see are the limitations, like I can't do this, I can't do that, nothing works. You have bowel and bladder functions that don't work, which is a huge part of being disabled as well. So you did. First thing was only limitations because you can't even get out of your hospital. And then once you start getting up and you're meeting more people, and I know we had some bad moments, so I'll give this five years and that's it. I'm not living like this for the rest of my life. Well, maybe 10 years. And... I guess over time, the acceptance part of it, but also learning that you can still function Mm. and life can still be just as good as it was. Sure. You're not going to be able to do some things like I regret some of the things I can't do with my kids Mm. that, you know, you thought would be a wonderful part of being a mother, but overall you can do so many things. And find so much enjoyment in life that slowly you get to understand that, well, this is how you live, but it's, it's not so bad. It's mm-hmm. a pretty good life. And I feel like I've had a really good life. What it's nice. a mental thing as well as physical. <laughs> yeah,
0: for sure. So then what came first, your husband or wheelchair curling? <laughs> well, my
1: husband was my boyfriend when I had the car accident. Oh,
0: really? Yeah. yeah. You guys have we been together be, for a long time.
1: We yeah, have, since I was 18 years old. Wow. So my
0: husband always comes first. Oh, he, uh, I, I, <laughs> Good answer. I meant, sorry, I meant chronologically as in when they <laughs> entered into your life after I said it, I was like, that is a weird question. Um, but the fact that he was with you already when you went through your accident and it, he just went up in my books, even, even higher up. Wow. Good man. <laughs>
2: that's yeah. some that's, um, grief and adjustment a large amount of change for him as well to journey through having a fully able-bodied girlfriend to then the commitment to journey through a hard journey. Yeah. And I think he had a few moments
1: that way too. He got called by my sister to let him know about my accident and just instantly got a plane ticket and came down. He was one of the first people, you know, you wake up that first morning and wow, what are you doing here already? (laughs) But it only took him, I'm going to say, less than a month, and he talked to a couple of friends and thought what it came to the decision that, no, nope, what had really changed was nothing but our, recent, our actual relationship, just, you know, how much I was going to be able to do, and same for him, didn't have any clue, you know, what this was going to do to me beyond I was going to be in a wheelchair, but yeah, he decided that our relationship was good enough that wheelchair wasn't going to separate us.
0: Aw, and then how many years till you got married after that? I'm Eleven. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. okay so did wheelchair curling come into your life before you got married
1: no I was 42 when I started wheelchair curling oh so.
0: mm-hmm. okay well tell us about that <laughs> wow you're super accomplished my goodness <laughs> yeah. you've done a lot in a short period of time
1: uh-huh. a lot of life happened after I was in a wheelchair we traveled for 10 months so backpacked around Southeast wow. Asia and Australia and then after that, I decided I wanted to go to school. So I went to school and I was, you know, that close to getting a teaching bachelor, but I went ahead with just English and history minor. And then we got married and had our three children.
0: How old are your three kids now?
1: They are 28, 25, and 23. Oh, wow. Yeah, a girl and then two boys. Uh-huh. And before, you know, sort of in those times, I did try swimming before i had children as you know sport back into but uh, out of fort st john i really didn't have the coaching so went to uh bc summer games just after training for a few months and got disqualified out of most of my events because i was using my legs in a way i'm not allowed to but you know my coach and i we didn't know anything about all the rules you just oh you just swim, don't you? So (laughs) I really looked into it. (laughs) And then when I was pregnant with either my second or third, somebody came and wondered about if I'd want to join wheelchair basketball, but not a good time for me at that point. So move on. I'm not enforcing John anymore. Moved down to Armstrong. And my youngest is five. And I met a guy in Costco who said, have you ever thought about wheelchair curling? And I'd never heard of it. Wheelchair curling was maybe in its second year. I think in 2002 or 2003 was when it started and this was 2004. So he said, well, they're going to have a day in Vernon for people to come out and try it. So why don't you come out? And my youngest had just gone into kindergarten. And I thought, well, geez, you know, i have got some afternoons that are nice to go on. And, you know, you're thinking recreational. So went to this give it go day and turns out two weeks later, there was going to be a provincial selection camp for the BC team nationals were going to be held in Vancouver so BC was going to be able to have two teams and so they would need eight players Hmm. at least two of which had to be women so one of the girls had been on the team the year before from vernon here sonia godet so she was going to this and i went well sure i think i'd like to try that Hmm. and my husband was supportive yeah go ahead you know Hmm. same thing it's a couple days here and there whatever go ahead so i went up there and there was only four girls and probably about 22 guys i think that came to the camp and so i got chosen to one of the teams and I believe it was about a month, month and a half later, we went to nationals and we came in second in that one by just a measure at the very end. And so you were just that close. They were choosing the Canadian national team from the two teams that had won. And if we had won nationals, then likely I would have got chosen to the national team right there. But because we didn't win nationals, then they were still looking at, they had a previous national team and they kept both girls from the previous national team. So I was that close to being chosen for the national team that then became the next Paralympic team. And right there, that was my, are you good enough? Or should you just quit? Maybe she just quit here. And I hadn't really planned on this being something you were going to do for a long time. It sort of started out as just an afternoon. But when you come that close, you think, wow, that would have been such an amazing experience. And on the other hand, you go, well, you missed it. It's going to be five years before that would happen again that you'd even have that chance. So, yeah, I was kind of totally up in the air about, no, I don't think I'm going to go on you know, Maybe you don't have the ability, and that's a long time to dedicate yourself to this. But because we'd come in second, we got invited to uh, international Bonspiel in London, Ontario. So we went and played. And there you played against Canadian national team, I think a Scottish team there. I think Switzerland was there few other nations maybe Norway and played in that bond spiel and at the end of it I was chosen the number one lead Ooh. and that was kind of just the little all right
0: that's motivating
1: hey I think I can do this you No, know, yeah. that's sure it's five more years but I think I'm willing to give that a try and at that point you know my husband said yeah you know if you want to try it that'd be great for you to be back in sport
0: and then 2010 was your first Paralympic Games
1: yes so that would have been two thousand and five. Two years later I got chosen to the national team in two thousand and seven and then on to Paralympics after that. So I've been on the national team since two thousand and seven.
0: Wow. And your first Paralympic Games on home soil. Like yes. in your own province even.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's I mean, I don't think you can think of a better fairy tale first event to go to. My family, all my friends were able to come down in your home province, in your home country. Yeah, it was amazing looking forward to it, but also very daunting and scary because you think, I've never seen these many crowds and it's going to be people that you know, it's not just strangers and how's that going to work? A
0: little bit of pressure. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm. And really for wheelchair curling, we don't have any crowds or audience most of the time. So that was for us. I mean, the people that went to Trino had had that, but anybody who hadn't, that was your first experience with having a crowd and people cheering. And
0: How did you mentally handle that? That's so different.
1: We had a mental performance trainer and that was a huge focus for me was I wanted my mental performance to be very, very strong. And I worked hard on my focus to make sure that I knew how to focus and hopefully, you know, not even notice. And Happily, that's exactly what it felt like when you're out mm-hmm. there playing. When you were throwing, you wouldn't hear a thing. Mm-hmm. And then when you weren't throwing, just holding a chair for somebody else or waiting your turn, you'd hear it all. But the moment you went in to actually make wow. your shot, then it's kind of like everything just blanked out. So happily, that's how it worked for me. Outside. Wow, that
0: is focus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Another question our 10-year-old had for you was if you also play chess, because it, it is also a strategic game.
1: Yeah, my younger brother was an incredibly bright little fella, and he played chess, and he could beat me, so no,
0: I quit chess. (laughs) (laughs) But but you succeeded with the strategy in curling. (laughs) Wonderful.
2: (laughs) What is the difference, or how is it different, in able-bodied versus Paralympic curling?
1: Of course, we don't have sweepers. So for our game, it is about trying to throw, you know what the spot is, and then thinking about the shot, whether, you know, if you're a little heavier, a little deep on what your shot is, what's your best outcome? So you kind of throw to a spot but with the idea of it's better to be a little lighter, or a little bit heavy or some variation of where you can make the best shot with a little bit of error. For able-bodied curling, they depend so much on the sweepers. So they can do so much as sweepers. They throw their rock to enable the sweepers to take control of it. So they can do a lot of things that we wouldn't even consider. They can throw lighter weights and get them where they want to, where we throw a lighter weight and we might just lose the rock. So I think it is just a little bit of your throwing to different advantages of what the sport is for you.
0: And all the more reason for that focus to be so important, especially in the, <laughs> those Paralympic venues when it's all loud like that. That shot matters. That one's just up to you. No one else can help you out with that one. Hey,
1: exactly. Obviously, you know the ice and the rocks make a big difference. And so for Paralympics, they have a little bit different criteria for how much curl be on the ice compared to the Olympics because they do have the ability to control. So some of those factors are a little bit different too. But definitely, we are all about. Once you let it go, you just cross your fingers mm-hmm.
0: and hope it goes where you want it to go because <laughs> no one's going to help it from that point. Mm. Wow. No, it looks pretty intense. I, I saw especially some of the highlights when they show the more tense moments and man, you guys are so accurate. Like, it's crazy.
2: Another part that we see that's interesting is you hold each other's chairs. Can you tell us a little bit about the throwing of the stones and the, the teamwork that even that entails? Yeah.
1: So the stone weighs, I think it's 42 pounds. So even though, you know, the ice allows it to slide, you're starting it from, you know, an absolute dead stop. And that's why somebody has to hold your chair, because your chair will move back on the ice just as easy as you're pushing the rock forward. So it's securing you so that you can be accurate, because the only thing moving is your arm and your stick and the rock. Some people, just the way they sit in the chair, the weight of their body, they can throw without somebody holding the chair. As far as Canadian team, we've always adhered to the fact that it's better to make sure there's no mistakes, that someone's holding your chair to keep it still.
0: Plus, you guys look extra bonded, so Mm. I like that. It (laughs) it looks really (laughs) teamy.
1: Those last few words of encouragement, right? (laughs) Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah.
2: Just to paint that picture for those who may not have seen it, the rock is on the ice and you have your, is it a special stick? What is that stick like? And then you push it and what's involved in, like, how is it connected to the stone? What's the technique of thrusting this stone We, we
0: like to call this wheelchair curling for dummies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This segment. Yeah.
1: So it's it's a delivery stick, and you know there are people that. Using a delivery stick that walks so you know it's not that dissimilar from some of the able-bodied curling in clubs and things it's a delivery stick and on the end it has a delivery head that just slides on top of the handle of the rock so it's not attached to it and it's not wrapped around it it's just sort of sitting on top but spreading around the side so it's you know kind of almost Enclosed by this stick head. And with the heads that we use now, you just push it forward. And in pushing the forward, there's a pivot point on our stick head that allows the rock to start to turn. And that's how the handle is put on. So if if you're a person using your hand, you'll turn your hand to put the rotation on the rock. Whereas with us, just in the pushing forward movement with our stick and the fact that this head has this pivot point it allows the rock to naturally start trying to turn. And that's how the rotation goes on with our stick. We used to have sticks where the delivery head, you actually had to turn your wrist or your arm to put that rotation on. But with the heads we have now, it's just as you push it forward, the fact that it has a pivot point allows it. The rock to naturally start making its own rotation and takes off from
2: there. Very cool. Thank you for the description and explanation. It, <laughs> yeah. It's it's hard to conceptualize something we've never done before. And I know it's so second nature to you all these years of of honing that skill. <laughs> so thank you for, for yeah. really painting that picture for us. Well, I think she honed on. a skill
0: within like her first three times of either <laughs> mm-hmm. trying it jumped right onto the national team.
1: <laughs> well, part of that too is, you know, how early I was in the grand scheme of things for wheelchair curling. Certainly not everybody makes it onto the team that fast and not now for sure. Mm
0: -hmm. So four Paralympic games under your belt now, do you have a favorite?
1: Of course, I think Vancouver is my favorite. Being your first time and having all your family and friends being there, they also did so much more in the actual celebration. We go to Worlds and it's the same competition. We're playing a lot of the same teams. Then you go to Paralympics and it's that big, huge celebration of sport and everything that goes along with it so in Vancouver we had quite a few parties where your family and friends could come and be with you and meet the rest of the team and we were with sledge hockey so then they met the sledge hockey players too and then after when we won there was a big huge party where everybody could come Uh again so I think when you're the home team there's just so much more that comes with the whole big celebration of sport and the crowds were all on our side, so all the yeah. cheering fit well for us. They were loud when we needed them, and they were quiet <laughs> when we were throwing, you know, just some of those
0: things. Strategic that, cheering.
1: <laughs> yeah, when, when you're the team that everybody's watching, it makes such a difference to sort of that sound level too, yeah. right? So, yeah, Vancouver just absolutely has to be the...
0: And to win a gold experience. medal on home soil too. I mean, probably can't top that, hey?
1: Yeah, no, and and the medals are beautiful. It's probably one of my most favorite medals as well. Everything about Vancouver is just a storybook.
0: We have seen and touched in real life John Montgomery's gold medal from the 2010. They're very unique. They are beautiful.
2: Mm -hmm. Anything unique from Beijing from this year?
1: Well, Beijing was a very unique experience (laughs) too. It was a quadrennial like never we've had before. We were bronze medalists in Pyeongchang, went to our next Worlds and placed 10th. So then we were dropped down into the World Bs. So we had to win our way back up into the World A's. So that was a brand new experience. We've never been to Bs before fortunately strong enough team we ended up winning at world b so we came out right away and our very next world champions we were silver medalists oh wow you guys are
0: quite the roller coaster riders (laughs) here
1: well it was i mean that's kind of unusual too and then we hardly got home from switzerland before covid shutdowns all happened and we were apart for 18 months zoom calls and everybody practicing on their own we did not get together in person until September of this past year. So to be a team and try to train for that level of competition and not even being together is yeah. it's really difficult. Everybody is very good about being dedicated, doing all the things they had to on your own, but there definitely is something about being together and knowing how everybody is throwing, especially for the skip. So that was quite a huge loss for us. And not all countries had the same rules around COVID. There were still a lot of teams that were playing, as well as training. So we felt a little bit behind. We came back in, I think our first training camp was in September. And by the middle of the third week in October, we were at Worlds again in Beijing. So it was... A really quick back, oh, there we are, right back into sport. Yeah, and then did a couple things afterwards, and then back to another lockdown where we didn't get together from the second week of December until the first week of February. The team chose to get together for three weeks in a bubble to train together before we went to Paralympics. That was the best decision Mm -hmm. that our coaches came up with and all the team members bought into It made our journey for Beijing five weeks long, which is a long time that we'd never done before, but such a crucial part to get together for that three weeks. So a lot of things about going to Beijing are just not our usual four years.
0: So your team, you guys are from all across Canada. Where do you guys usually center your training?
1: Right now, so if it's early training, we've been in Edmonton because they have ice sort of the earliest and throughout the summer. And then quite a few of the players are three out of five are from Ontario. So we've spent more time over in Ontario for training.
0: Okay, That's like Lowell. Lowell's cycling pilots out in Ontario too, as is the velodrome. So he's often going out there too.
1: Yeah, and, and it kind of works out, you know, for us wherever the most players are from. So, you know, for your budget planning it tends to be where our mm. training center is, is wherever we can make the most of the budget and not fly so many people.
0: And you're racking up the frequent flyer miles.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, not over the last four years. Oh yeah. That,
0: that's I haven't true. been together
1: much at all. Uh, yeah. No, I'm kidding. And, uh. Yeah, and going to Beijing, then we we did come to Richmond for those three weeks just because it was in the right direction for our flights. Mm. So we did spend those weeks in Richmond.
0: Wow. Does it feel like Beijing already was like a lifetime ago, or does it seem like a few weeks ago?
1: It seems like a lifetime ago. Thinking back to the other ones, I go, did it feel like it passed that fast and then it was just over? Uh, I guess it always does, but. And you just went through it. It's like wow, I was just there, and look, now I'm home. I'm now. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that must have been such a huge difference for you not to have your family there as well. Were you at least able to communicate with them regularly?
1: Even there, you know, we were trying to be cyber safe while we were over, and you know, I'm not the most technologically strong person, so not a lot, a lot of communication with my family while I was over there. They've been to every other of the Paralympics and having them there and being able to look up in the stands and see them. And we've always made time that after every game, we were able to go and see our family and friends who had come. So yeah, it was a a big hole that was missing out of the Paralympic experience.
0: For sure. Do you think you have another Paralympic Games in you? Maybe they can attend again? I'm
1: sure they'd love to go to Italy. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Do you have what's next plans in regards to sport before we move on to the what's next in your life?
1: We're going through the debrief stage right now and you come back from Paralympics and you're on the big high of how wonderful it was and how oh, you're so enthusiastic with your sport, but you always have to do realize there's that four years in between mm-hmm. before you have that big experience again. So I'm kind of in the, hmm, do I do another? And for me up there in age, you always want to know that your body's in for as long as your mind is. Yeah. Maybe I want to play, but Definitely know that there's more injury proneness now than there was, say, eight years ago. So that makes it a different decision as well.
2: You're a mom, a wife, and an elite athlete. How have you found that that balancing act? Or and a
0: business owner and
2: a business owner. Yeah, there's a lot. You have many hats. How <laughs> have, have you How have you balanced those hats?
1: With a lot of support, my husband and I are in business together. So when I'm gone, he takes over a lot. His business also takes him away, so we're both used to doing what we have to do on our own and
0: together. What is your business?
1: He's a welder, and then we're also property managers, so sometimes he's gone with welding all over BC, basically. Mm. My kids were young when I first started, so they had to be responsible, good little people, too, to make it happen, because if all of a sudden you were struggling with problems at home, I definitely wouldn't have been going away and, and doing what I was doing. Yeah, but I have amazingly awesome, responsible, independent children that awesome. always encouraged me to go, and they were always looking forward to the Olympic experience too. So come on, mom, let's get there. Let's Aww. go. <laughs> family and friends that helped out. Kids were young when I started in this, so I'd be gone. They'd go to friends' houses, or family would come and stay with them here. So again, without that kind of support, there's no way I could have done it. You draw on a lot of people and maybe you don't appreciate them and thank them enough for everything they've done that enabled you to do what you wanted to do as, you know, your own little guilty pleasure.
0: Mm -hmm. Did your kids inherit your competitive spirit or do they just live vicariously through you?
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, they were all involved in sports. Everybody went in different sports, no curlers, (laughs) but they all had their own individual interests. And that was sort of the summer They didn't do so much maybe in the winter while I was gone mostly, but then all summers were taken up with all their sports.
0: And they're what fully grown adults now. Are they still living close by at least? They had all moved
1: away. And then just recently, our daughter, she's a vet. She's moved back home. Our middle son, he's an environmental coordinator, and he's only two hours away where he works, and then our youngest guy is a pilot, and he's in Calgary, so you know only six hours away for a drive, so they're all still fairly close and come home fairly regularly as well.:
0: Ah, uh, we live two blocks away from my parents. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I will not go further away.
1: (laughs) Parents are awfully helpful people. I absolutely appreciate both our sets of parents. Mm -hmm.
0: Oh yeah. And if your kids start having kids of their own, you might find they uh, also start moving (laughs) closer. Yeah. I've heard that happens.
2: (laughs) Mindset is huge. Yes. And it helps us get through life-changing moments like the loss of use of limbs or vision or different mental, physical relationships. What are some of the key pieces you found and you've wanted to teach others, teach your kids and spread? What is the healthy mindset of overcoming?
1: I know when I was in rehab, I certainly had a lot of people who were in a way worse situation and condition than I was. And so I think right from the start, it was very easy to see and say, you know, this isn't so bad because I can see where this could be way, way worse. I think lots of times people get so focused on themselves, they fail to realize all the great things in their lives, and they only mm-hmm. focus on the unfortunate or sad part of it. And if you turn it around and, you know, kind of try to look towards the optimistic side, I, I think it makes a huge difference to how you live your life.
2: Mm, beautiful. The optimism, gratitude, seeing the opportunity out of the obstacle, A little on the nose for our podcast, but that's, <laughs> that's really the yeah. idea that these setbacks can be set up. The opportunity to travel the world and push these cool rocks across sheets of ice around other competitors. It's all coming from this moment where things changed and you could have turned to be bitter and, and withdrawn and isolated, but you chose connection and gratitude and positivity and your life has become better because of this.
0: I read that your favorite quote was life is a journey. So enjoy your trip. Is that still your favorite quote?
1: It certainly is something, you know, that you carry with you. I think the whole time, You look back on what you've done and where you've been, and certainly it is, life is a journey. And as I said, I don't ever want to be on my deathbed and be worried about the dust bunnies under my bed, because, wow, there's more to life than those dust bunnies under my bed.
0: (laughs) Taking it back to when you did your backpacking trip with your husband in Southeast Asia, was it pretty accessible for you back then? No. No,
1: No, it was not.
0: (laughs) So how did you manage? Like, Tell us a bit about that.
1: Well, I mean, you, you choose your locations, you choose where you're going because you know that accessibility is a problem, but my husband is a very strong guy. And so, you know, he got me places that probably we should never have got to, but he was willing to do the muscle work. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of burning mountain in Australia and he fought me up this little mountainy hill so I could see a burning seam of coal and Uh yeah. There's a will, there's a way. And I think that's kind of how we traveled was we want to see this. uh, We're going to get there and do everything possible. Of course, admitting there are some places and don't take it to just absolute dangerous Mm. proportions to do these things. But yeah, wherever there was a will, there was a way and we made it happen.
0: Mm. Did you spend time in Thailand?
1: Yes, we did. We love Thailand. It was beautiful there.
0: That was one of the places we went to many moons ago. We lived in New Zealand for a year and then we traveled Australia for a month and Thailand. And uh, sometimes I just get cravings to go back. I think because of the 75 cent street curry. <laughs> that was so good.
1: Well, and we found in Thailand, being in a wheelchair, people were just the kindest people. So amazingly friendly and kind. We just love the people that we met there.
0: So any plans to go back? We always
1: say we should go back there, but there's so many places to see. Maybe you should see some place <laughs> you've never seen before. Yeah. So yeah, we really haven't gone back to the same place. Australia, we've went twice, but <laughs> most other places, no.
0: Have you been to New Zealand? Yes, we have. Okay. Yeah. yeah, same trip. Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah.
2: You speak highly of your husband. What have you learned from him or how has he helped you on this journey?
1: I think his mindset is patience. It takes a lot to deal with my disability. And it's not his. And, you know, sometimes, again, all I can see is my own issues. And I think he's had to be a very patient person and maybe put aside probably things that he'd like to be able to do just because it doesn't work out for me. So I would say usually patient and generous person.
2: Mm. The power of love. And one of the things I like to speak to is the the power of the supports of our spouses, of those loved ones, the partners that help us or family members who are helping us. We can do some things alone, but my list of can items gets a lot larger when I have Julie around. So that's the power of our support system. (laughs) I've
1: got to be careful not to ask too much. That's the only other side of it is like, no one enough is enough, right?
0: (laughs) That's what Lowell sometimes jokes that I'm enabling him. like. (laughs) all his crazy adventures <laughs> yeah. no it's fun from the supportive person's side i kind of feel like i get to live the best of both worlds like i get to live vicariously through him and even when he's away on his trips the boys and i are eager to catch up with him and oh how's your race going and he's Facetime. Yeah. he always sends videos of his hotel he's staying at like very detailed video <laughs> tours which are very funny
1: <laughs> uh, yeah Everybody watching our games, you know, for my husband, I'm sure he gets grayer and grayer and grayer hairs just from watching because that's he stress. takes it that seriously for us. Yeah. So <laughs> definitely invested.
0: Yeah. Do you yeah. think he gets more stressed out than you do?
1: I honestly think anybody who watches gets more stressed out than the person actually in it because you're so in the game. Maybe that's part that you don't. And somebody watching is like, ah, yeah. <laughs> I've
2: heard that from others that it's the ones who are competing have more control the ones who don't mm-hmm. it's it's that lack of control and it causes more anxiety than yeah. just focusing on in that moment we're here we're present and we have control in this moment we can trust our training
1: oh yeah I've watched kids sports so I know exactly once you're just right in there like oh no, didn't, didn't we talk oh my god yeah. <laughs> and, uh,
0: <yeah>. our 10 year old <laughs> had a soccer tournament and they ended up in the bronze medal game it went into shootouts and They had never even done shootouts, so they didn't didn't even know what they were. And just as a parent watching, I'm like, I am way more stressed out than I should be for a 10-year-old soccer game just watching the shootouts. I'm like, oh, these poor kids.
1: I know. My son probably was about 10 at the time, too. Last inning of a game, and he gets put in in the baseball game as the pitcher. And I was just, oh, my God. And he looked just calm anything just throwing the ball and i said to him afterwards like my goodness that was so amazing you went in and you were just so calm and well it's just pitching mom <laughs> just pitching we
0: <laughs> put a lot more weight on it oh
2: game. my
1: gosh yeah this is a hugely important game and this is the last inning and they just threw you in there and yeah, <laughs> just pitching yeah.
0: just, just so. a
2: game mom just,
0: can you feel yeah, a little bit of stress yeah. for your mother please yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: just kidding oh you can learn so much from
0: your children you know. Yeah. <laughs>
2: We can hear so much positive mindset in what you're speaking about today, in your love and care for your family, in travel and exploration, and really this independence you fostered ever since a child that your family fostered within you. And we can see that there's a lot more that you're going to be doing in this life, in this world. So we're encouraged to have met you today, to journey through with you, and to hear about your experiences in Parasport, and to hear about your mindset. So thank you for taking time to speak with us.
1: Thank you. I've really enjoyed our time speaking together, so it's been lovely meeting
0: you. Yeah, it's definitely our pleasure, and I love that if someone finds themselves in a wheelchair now, they have people like you to look to, and look, there's there's this really awesome sport, wheelchair curling, and there's this more exposure now, I feel, which is awesome.
1: Yeah, we are very happy that CBC did such a great job of covering it and making it more accessible for people. I think it's hugely important for anybody, but especially disabled people, to see what opportunities there are out there and just seen as believing. So that was a fabulous improvement and advancement in awareness for Paralympics.
2: Mm. For sure.
0: Yeah, it's so important.
2: Realizing there are a lot of people struggling right now. Do you have any words of encouragement if anybody's struggling with a setback, a struggle right now, even maybe a disability, a, a new acquired injury? What's Anna Forrest's words of encouragement?
1: Life is in the living. So if you don't get out there and experience life, all you see is kind of the dark side of maybe the inside of your house. So get out there and meet people and look at the beauty of the world around you. I, I think you can't help but be impressed by what you see outside if you actually go and look, it's a huge big world go on and have a look at
0: it mm. Mm, great advice beautiful thank you <laughs> awesome thank you. well we will let you get back to your family and your life and your horses do you have horses now
1: yes we do two uh, horses uh, old horses yeah they're, they're pretty mm. aged
0: Ah, what are their names
1: rio and machala Mm.
0: Uh, yeah, <laughs> give give them a little snuggle for us. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: handful of grain, they'll they'll really appreciate you.
0: Oh, yeah, good, good. Thank absolutely. you. Yes, make yeah. you look good. <laughs>
2: the power of connection to animals as well as people.
1: Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I had pets my whole life, and they certainly bring a lot to your life. They are smiling at you every day when you go to see them.
2: Yeah.
0: Ah, uh, well, let you get back to your horses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Uh, well, thank
1: you very much. I appreciate uh, having the opportunity to talk to you. Thank
0: you. It was our pleasure. And you have a great day. Okay, you too. Okay, okay. bye, Take Ina. Bye, bye now. See ya.
2: Ina Forrest.
0: Ina Forrest.
2: Paralympic curler, multiple gold medalist, bronze medalist, and somebody who's experienced the ups and downs, the roller coaster in sport and in life, and continues to move forward. A beautiful message at the end about getting out, exploring, seeing the world, getting to be around other people. It's so easy to withdraw, to avoid, to get stuck in the anxiety and depression. Her encouragement for those who are struggling, let's get out, let's see the world and see the beauty that's within it. And for
0: people that are worried about their age, let's just remember, she has proven to us that age is just a number. She was not even introduced to wheelchair curling until she was 42. And she is one of the most decorated wheelchair curlers in the world. I shouldn't start until she was 42. Hmm. Like you can do a lot.
2: You can do a lot. It's crazy.
0: Mm. What an inspiration.
2: With the right mindset, you could be ready for those opportunities when they come. And for her, the right place, the right time, the right person saying, Mm -hmm. come check this out. And it just happened to roll through.
0: I wonder if she still has contact with that person.
2: I we should well, have asked.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I also would love to meet her kids. I often feel with our own boys raising them, they have a dad to look to who is overcoming his obstacles and winning these medals and doing these races. And I just feel like it's so inspiring for them and also gives them a sense of empathy. And now her kids are adults. And I'd just be really curious to know. They're like...
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like there's probably some genetic independence in and yeah. the, the cultural independence of the family, but also to have that working with mom through her struggles and it sounded like they had to be independent as she was away and they stepped up and stepped in and are very independent children.
0: And like with our kids, it's just normal. Like just normal. mom was in a wheelchair, that's just normal. That's just how it is. And for our kids, dad is blind and that's just that's just mm-hmm. how it is.
2: Yeah, even in that, something we don't choose. Being able to see how it shapes us and shifts us in time being marinated in the soup of being a child, a parent with disability will shift and change your life and think in many cases for the better.
0: I thought of you a couple times when she was talking about not being able to be the mom she kind of envisioned herself being and how mm. you went through that anxiety when we were expecting and you just realized that being a blind dad, there were certain things that you wouldn't be able to do. But look at all the the other joy and opportunities you've brought our family.
2: <laughs> it's easy to get stuck in the I can't, I can't mm. drive, I, I can't do these things, play catch, do the things you thought you might be as a parent. But then that world of what I can do and how it actually could increase and deepen, kind of create some deeper meaning and purpose as a parent is is pretty cool.
0: Yeah, well, you probably could drive. It just wouldn't be safe or legal. It's true. (laughs) Uh,
2: Yeah, another great uh, conversation. It's great to be connected to these incredible athletes. The honor of being the flag bearer for... The Beijing Paralympic Games, and we have many more guests that we hope to connect with and speak to in the coming months and years. We're aiming for about once a month at this stage, mm-hmm. but we'll see what comes down the pipe. Yeah, Thank you for listening along.
0: Yeah, and thanks again, Ina. All
2: right, until next time.
0: Love you guys. Bye.
2: Bye.